Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Kovar. I'm super excited about today's podcast. I've got a chance to interview uh, my high school sponsor. This is Her name is Betty Staley, and I've known her for over 45 years. And uh, I went to a, the high school I went to was uh, a Waldorf uh, school, and Waldorf is, was founded by Rudolf Steiner. And it's really an amazing educational system with which uh, many people start literally from nursery school and go all the way through preschool, all the way through high school. I just went to high school. It was an amazing experience for me. And Betty went on to become uh, really world-renowned in the, in the area of childhood education, especially when it comes to specifically Waldorf education. And she's responsible for uh, really pushing the Waldorf movement into public schools and, and really pushing, helping high schools get off the ground. And she's written uh, multiple books. And uh, her latest one that she wrote last year, that she published last year, was Tending the Spark and Lighting the Future of Middle School Students. And it's an amazing book really dealing with that that, that age of middle schoolers, right? And so I've asked Betty to be on the, the podcast today to really talk about just the whole process in this day and age, uh, what it takes, what parents and teachers and coaches can do for kids at various ages to really help them deal with, with the 21st century. So Betty, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You're welcome, Dave. It's, it's good to see you. So just a little background for everybody that might be listening is this is our like third attempt with doing a podcast. We tried this last week, but we had some audios, uh, uh, challenges and we tried it earlier with some audio challenges, but we kept on trying, we figured it out and here we are. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, we did. Good. So, well, so Betty, I wanted to start out by first and foremost, you know, thanking you for, uh, for really just being such a good influence on myself and, and my classmates. And, and I've often referred to my Waldorf experience. I was kind of tainted by education. I wasn't really into it until I, I went to Waldorf. And, and there was uh, several teachers, you, of course, at the top of the list, that really, uh, really just were so passionate about teaching us that you really uh, made me want to learn. And I really uh, think, although I'm not a traditional teacher, I am a teacher. And a lot of that influence was by examples from people such as yourself. So thank you for that. Well, that's, that's as much as any teacher would ever want to hear. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, I, I, the people listening to this podcast, there's some martial artists, but there's a lot of people that are parents mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, that are raising young kids. And there's a lot of uh, – every generation has its share of challenges, to be sure. You know, parent, parenting is never easy. It's never been easy. It never will be easy. But, but each generation has specific things that they kind of really – we got to look at, and of course, right now it would be a, a combination of a couple of things. Uh, COVID has an effect, certainly. That's that's hopefully short term, but but social media has an effect. Very big. And, and I'd like to start out by just asking you if if I am either a parent or a coach or teacher of someone that's younger, four, five, six, seven years old. What are some specific do's and don'ts that you would recommend? Well, first of all, get them outside. Get them in nature. Get them playing. Um, Get them off the screen, and if they have to be on the screen for school right now, keep it to the minimum. Uh, the more active they can be, doing things, making things, very, very important. Also really important for that age group is to feel confident, to feel that they trust their environment, that they can feel the protection and the love of their family, their coaches, whomever, and, uh, and that it's not a matter of producing anxiety because you want them to be the best, the first. You know, that whole, I live right across the street from a field, and I watch the soccer games going on there. And to watch children of that age being pushed, 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 uh, instead of just enjoy the game. So it's, it's the movement that they're doing that you want, and the relationship building. 
So, so really, when you're that age, your job is to play. Isn't that your job? I mean, that's a kid's job when they're really little is to, that's how they learn, right? By that's how they immersed. learn they explore. Yeah, and they, get, they learn to trust themselves as well. Yeah, so it, it, do you feel, do you see that you've got a couple things pulls I see is first off is, you know, well-intended but misguided parents really pushing their kid to be top of the class or be able to read ahead of the other kids or, uh, uh, and that also, that can, that can lead to challenges down the line. Is that your experience? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's not a matter of, first of all, being first and or best at that age doesn't do anything to prepare you for later because that's not what life is about. It's much more about, can you form a relationship with your classmates, your teacher? Can you, do you have social skills? Those are far more important than you could be first in your class. And then what happens? You become very proud and even arrogant, and then you don't do other things. And so it's really, it's not a healthy situation. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I see so often what happens is, is that someone's identity becomes locked up into being the smartest or the best. And then they actually maybe uh, it, that works against them because now they have a reputation to live up to versus just being kind of a, a, a it's called the growth mindset set for versus the, the fixed mindset, right? A fixed right. mindset is this is I'm good or I'm not good. The growth mindset is I can always get better. And how is important is imagination for these younger kids? Imagination is, is the food of, of, of play. It's the food of the child. So the, and when you work with children in imagination, they, they expand because there's no end to where imagination can, can go. And so imagination gives us language. It gives us vocabulary. It gives us possibilities. Uh, it, it gives us the food until we hit that more uh, conceptual stage around 11, 12. So it's really imagination that fires up the child. Very cool. So I, I know that in th there's no way that you're going to keep a, a, you know, a five or six or seven year old off some kind of media that's just going to happen. But it, it also clearly, you know, it's no secret that too much can be detrimental. But why is it important that we limit their exposure to, you know, the screen? Now are we talking about the screen as, a, screen as a tool or screen as social media? Uh, a, a good, great distinction. Let's talk social media first. Well, first of all, children are very, very tender at this age. And so with social media, they are at the risk of just getting a, pop, a comment that someone makes about them. They take that in as the given, and that's how they see themselves. And so they have a very limited view of themselves. And, um, and then on the other hand, they don't have yet the responsibility of how they speak to others. So it's like a, a one-way mirror, both ways. They're on both sides of it. Um, and they're, and they're not able, they're not flexible in their thinking yet. So they believe whatever they're told. And that's part of social media. It's part of uh, who are the adults around them? What are they watching? Um, and they will believe the most outrageous things. You said it was true. Oh, you told me I, you were going to post a picture of me. I asked you to post a picture of me uh, uh, nude, but, and you told me you'd never show it. And of course I believed you. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they so, you know, everything. I see with kids, and one of the things that I coach with in my instructor's training is there's a great quote. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Exactly. What that, what is, my teacher thinks I can do it. I guess I can do it. And that I know as an instructor, I believe the most important thing that I can do for my students is believe in their potential. 
and, and, and like, look at them. And how many times have I had a five-year-old walk up and, you know, they painted a rock for me as a gift. They put a, you know, or some, or a little picture of, you know, something. And that's a moment right there. I can go, Hey, thanks kid. Or I go, wow. You know, if you keep practicing, you're really going to be a good artist someday. And they may, you may not remember that you ever had that conversation, but that could be their defining moments. And even in high school, students have told me that because that, since that sensitivity doesn't go away, we're always a little bit sensitive about how we come across. And, and you, that's, again, why being first is not important. You know, it's being able to keep striving, improving, changing, being more flexible. And so, yes, your comments are very powerful. You know, we often remember even the person who said something to us to limit us, and then we had to go against totally. it. You know, totally. You know, my... Uh, now we're going a little bit older. We'll jump there anyway. So I was at, in, in like 10 years old, fifth grade. Uh, my, my, my best friends was my uh, dad was our, our baseball coach, little league coach. His name was Coach Corsi, a good guy, well-intended guy. Uh, and he told me at the end of the season at the party, he said, you know, Dave, you're not very good at team sports. And that's what he said. It. He said it to me one time and he didn't mean it to hurt my feelings or, but, and so guess what? I thought, Oh, I'm not very good at team sports. Coach Corsi said, I'm like, okay. And so I, I just never tried out for anything after that. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized I actually could do just fine at that stuff. And it was because of this belief that this exactly. someone told me when I was really young. And it's so, it's so, I mean, parents do it all the time that, that they will, that they will, they will pass their judgment or opinion on what their child, they think their child's capable. And these young kids are still they haven't their identity isn't developed yet right, right. and they're, they're still developing their self-image and they will take it all without judgment whatever you say is true and so if it's positive that's going to be very powerful if it's negative that will be very powerful yeah, that, so that's why, man, that just that positive environment when the kids are young. And that, now we're getting into grade school. So now they're a little older. What, what are some distinctions? Uh, you, I, this, the same general rules apply, but is there some distinctions as the kids get older, some do's or don'ts that you see? Yeah, around nine or so, there's a change that happens neurologically. And they start to see, begin to see themselves a little bit from outside. So it, we often call, call it in Waldorf the nine-year change, where they start to see the world is not as exciting. The imagination is going. Uh, you know, they go back home and they to where they used to be and they say, but that used to be a forest or a mountain. It's just a rock. Right? And I think as adults, we have that experience. But sure. it's more like the, the world becomes ordinary. It's just this. It's just that. And so we have to make it more exciting for them. We have to make it something really special. And they'll start, they'll take that in. But what's so important during that time is, again, building self-confidence. That they can make things. They can do things. I mean, every skill they get, they will have for the rest of their lives. And then we also know from all the neuroscience that things that are repeated are going to create pathways in the brain. And so whether it's foreign language or it's music or it's, it's karate, those movements go into the body and into the brain. And they then stay when they hit around 11, 12, and they start to have this experience of myelination, where the pruning process. So whatever it's not used a lot, just dissolves. So this is the importance of repetition. Got and it. Also important, if you, they are doing something repetitively, such as music or karate, that they not stop at this age. And if you can get them to close to 16, they have it for life. 
It's so funny that you say that because I've, I've said this just kind of instinctively. What I've learned through the years is I've told parents when their kids are 13 or 14, you got to keep them training through their growing years because I've had kids that quit when they're 11 or 12 and came back when they're 25 and they don't remember much. But I've had kids that train through puberty. They're on the other right. side. Right. They came back at 35 at it and they still have their skills. So I've seen that firsthand. I want to talk about confidence for a minute. I have this theory called the confidence spiral, and this is in my head how it works, and I'd love your, I'd love your feedback. So Imagine a spiral is getting smaller. On one side, you see the word failure. On the other side, you see the word low confidence, the word low confidence. And what happens if you fail, what does that do to your confidence level? It decreases. And if your confidence level decreases, then you're more likely to fail. Right. The flip side is the course of getting larger. And the word on one side is success. And the other word is confidence and how those two words are related and so kind of as an instructor what I encourage people that also teach to do is is to set people up for success you want it to be challenging but you want their first attempt at something they want to be thinking you know I can do this I'm going to be okay at this is it, are you feeling like that's on the right track yeah, and I'd like to give you an experience out of my sixth grade a long time ago so the teacher decided that she was going to uh, have one group do a physics board with the if you have the question question and answer and it's correct, it lights up. So two wires, little light goes on. The other half of the class is going to study the Russian Revolution. This is sixth grade. Okay. So she put me into the Russian Revolution. My sixth grade mind said, she thinks I can't do this physics board. And I want to do that physics board still. Because all she had to do was say, and then we're going to switch. That would have been fine. Got it. But it was only a one time, and I took it in. She's chosen that because she knows I can't do this. That it's amazing. Physics. It, you know, we, have no, we, we forget the impact of our words and our actions yeah. have on these young kids that are looking to us. You know, uh, you know one of, uh, like another, you know, one time, now I'm about the same age, I'm in fifth grade, and, and my, my, my teacher's name is Mr. O'Brien, and we're doing pull-ups. It's like PE. And for some reason, we end up in a pull-up competition, and I never remember doing pull-ups before that day. But I did 11 pull-ups, and I was class champion. I, I had the most pull-ups. And he looked at me, and he said, Dave, you're built for pull-ups. I'll never forget that. Now, to this day, if I see a pull-up bar, I, I think yeah. I own you, you know. And, and I don't know if it's true or not, but, but, uh, but you know, that's what Mr. O'Brien told me when I was uh, – and so what happened is that I gravitated towards that kind of thing because I had a belief. And, 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 and so that little statement, you know, had a major effect, I think, on things. And I gravitated to the Russian Revolution <laughs> and I ended up teaching Russian literature. <laughs> So, so I remember some of those, so it all worked out. Yes. You know, uh, one it other quick story. It could have been Go. something that wasn't so good, you know. It wasn't. I mean, it could have been. We have to always think about what our choices are. You know, and that's the other thing about the young child is so much choice is given to young children today. They have no idea of what's good or what's not good. And just a quick story. My uh, youngest daughter, you know her, Sonia, was driving the um, ice cream truck when she was in college. And she would come into this neighborhood. It was a poor neighborhood. And on the side of the ice cream truck were all these different ice creams. And all the children would come running to get their ice cream. And the mothers would come down. And what do you want? And the child points to one. The mother says, why are you always getting the most expensive one? <clears throat> child has no idea. Instead of saying, you can have this or that. Done. We're, we're giving these ch children so many choices when they have no basis on which to choose 
Yes, and so now they're given the choice, and then they're chastised for the choice. They exactly. So now that makes them not want to choose. You know, one of the things is that through the years, I've probably done five or 600 school assemblies, grade school assemblies through the years. And uh, what I find interesting, I don't do many anymore. My team usually does them. But when I'm doing one for kindergarten, first, second, third, everybody's hand goes up. Everybody's fully engaged. And when you get to, like, you know, fifth, sixth grade, not much. By, by seventh, eighth grade, nobody's – they don't want it. They don't want to – they don't yeah. want to be wrong. Yeah. 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 They, they're not like, it's like almost, it's, I know it's kind of an age thing, but it's also somewhere their experience that they didn't, didn't necessarily go well. Either the teacher made them look bad or the students made fun of them or something along that, that line. That second part's really important. They're watching if they're going to answer you and they're right, that they might get teased you know, that they're right. Or if they're wrong, they'll get teased in a different way. So the social becomes so important at that age. And whereas the kids in kindergarten don't even think about that. They just say things, yeah. Yeah. For second, third grade. Which I think brings us to kind of an area that you've, you know, you're really like, like, especially since you, you just, your last book published was in this area. Uh, I know you and I were talking a while back about the difference or the challenges that middle school age kids are dealing with now as compared to maybe, you know, a hundred years ago, just in, in the in way they're evolving. Why don't you kind of share with everybody uh, that, that? Thank you, Dave. I got really concerned. I've been teaching high school for a long time and then teacher training but I started to look at the middle school kids and something is wrong. And so I started sitting in on a lot of middle school classes and um, reading a lot of neuroscience. And first of all, puberty. Puberty is really important, obviously. If we go back to the year 1900, the average age of puberty was 16. At 16 is also the time of the secondary growth spurt. That's the big, big growth spurt that develops into executive function. So you had same time. So the physiological change and the psychological change right at the same time. Okay, about 1920, the average age of puberty was 14. So you now have two years. Okay, now the instinctual life is coming in, all the hormones are coming in. So they have two years before they come into the, the growth spurt that's going to allow them to handle the situation. Well, now it's 12. Wow. So we have four years, that's middle school, four years between the time that now all the hormones are working, all these changes are happening, and they don't have the capacity to regulate themselves. So they're completely at the mercy of what comes, whether it's social media, it's older kids, whatever it is, it's coming in. And they, are, they can't judge it. And so they make terrible mistakes, either outwardly or within themselves. So I call that the vulnerability gap. They are so super vulnerable to commercialism, consumerism, to sexuality, that's the image of sexuality they're coming in on them, to all the YouTubes about how to either, well, for the boys, it's more the games, the powerful video games, which by one by itself is fine, but these really strong ones, and, and they become addicted to it. The girls tend to go more into the YouTubes with how to dress themselves, even how, how do I become a Kim Kardashian, you know, it's amazing. And so they're being taken in at a time when they are no, not yet able to say, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. This is silly. That's going to come at 16, but not at 14. So they're, they're being exposed. They're seeing other people whose reality looks amazing. And they're, yeah. they, they know that theirs isn't. And they're, they're like, like looking at it and that, that thinking, wow, everybody else's world's way better than mine. And clearly that can't be good for their self-image. I, I, I roomed with an international student a couple of Christmases ago. She was just going on 16. Very smart girl from Germany. And um, she couldn't get off her phone all the time, all the likes. 
I said, so finally I said to her, so tell me about this. And so she said, well, you know, once you start getting likes, you want to get more. So we were at the beach in Hawaii and she had, of course, she had pictures taken and she knew how to pose because she had studied on YouTube and she did her posing. And then she got back from people she had, did not know somewhere in the world that uh, she was not showing enough cheek. That to be cool, you had to show 75% of cheek and she was only showing 50%. She was devastated. This is a lovely, bright girl. I said, you know that that's somebody you don't even know. I know, but it hurts. It's, it's just, it's really, it like, like who would have thought that, that this would have been a challenge that, you know, you think technology, you know, but there's a lot, certainly a lot of good that comes it's from technology as you use it as a tool, but it can be so counter, counterproductive. So I, I'm a, let's say I'm a parent of a middle schooler. Give me some do's and don'ts. I'm, I mean, uh, obviously limit screen time, but, but what, what are some parameters? So what, are, what, is, what can I do to work to help my child? That's a wonderful question. Get it out of the bedroom. Get the, the phone out of the bedroom, the computer out of the bedroom. I mean, the phone is a computer. We have right. to remember that. So this whole anxiety about being messaged by a friend or if I go to sleep, I might miss their message. So it has affected children sleeping. That's a big one. Um, if you can possibly keep them off a cell phone until after eighth grade, fantastic. There's a whole movement called wait until eighth. That would be really important. So every year below that, you're having to deal with issues because they don't yet have the capacity to regulate. And so, and one more issue is how are you monitoring or modeling, excuse me, how are you self-monitoring your set or modeling for them how what your dependent is right. on, on the phone? Do you have the phone on the table at dinner? You, know, you could start right off with saying no phones on the table at dinner. Yep. You could say no phones on certain days or certain hours. It's so addictive. I mean, we know that as adults. I, I think what you just said is so important is that we have to lead by example in that regard, which is hard to do. It, it's so, uh, you know, I have some things that I do, like, for example, you know, I don't, when I, first thing I do in the morning is not look at my phone. I, by the way, I want to look at my phone first thing I get in the morning. I want to go, you, you know, uh, uh, case in point, uh, this morning, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I went about my business, I get up, I do my exercise, I do my reading, and, uh, and, and then I, before I do my meditation, I just go, ah, let me look at that phone. And I pull it out, and I've got an email from one of my team members that's, it's an issue that I got to deal with now. It's, it's not, you know, we'll get through it, but it's enough to kind of get in your head. You everything. Guess what? That that the, the next that my little quiet time was not as good because I I didn't I let it impact my morning. Now uh, had I gone through finished my ritual before I picked up my phone, a couple things would have happened. I would have had a better meditation. But number two, I would have been more prepared for the day because I took that little extra time to really make sure I, I would have my my game on, so to speak. And children have so little quiet time today. Mm -hmm. And as they come into middle school, then they want to be cool, so they want to hear the music, so they have got something in their ear all the time. So it's it's not so much television as it is YouTubes and games and music. And, um, <clears throat> and so all this is coming in, and where is the quiet? Yeah. Where is the quiet? That's why going out to nature is so important, where you just, no talking, no phones. We're just going to go and play along the beach or along and, the river. And that's for people of all ages. Like, one of the things, when I run, I don't wear, I on purpose, like, like uh, yes, I could, or I could listen to a podcast and I could multitask. But somehow, and the, by the way, there might not be anything wrong with that. I'm, I'm not telling people they shouldn't do that. But for me, I need that time just to, just to, just to hear. And otherwise, you know, it's almost like you need your brain, your, your head needs a chance just to wander. And, and it, it can't always be directed by something. You know, that's so interesting because you and I see each other on the trail 
Yes. And, and I have a rule with myself, which is, because I've got my phone with me. So if I'm doing a long walk on the weekend, which is about four miles, I go all the way out the two miles and I come all the way back to the bridge at Fair Oaks. And when I get to the park, I can down, then listen to an audio book, but not before. And so because otherwise I'm not looking at the trees. I'm not, this morning there was a coyote. I don't know if you saw him. There was a coyote. You know, there are other people I've gotten to know on the trail. I wouldn't see any of that. The colors are starting to change. Yep. We're and, close, and we become little walking heads. Totally. And on top of that, from a, you know, as a, you know, from a guy that teaches self-defense, like I, the, I'm amazed by how many, like, I don't like to scare anybody. So I'll see uh, yesterday morning, I'm running around the trail at Ansel Hoffman and up ahead of me and it's, and it's just barely sunlight. And uh, there's a lady that's, and I see this every time I run, she's 30, 40 feet ahead of me. And, and I'm, I'm breathing really hard. I'm making a lot of noise because I, I, she's got, she's listening to something. Finally, I go on your left, really loud. And she jumps around and, and it's like, uh, you know, I want to say time out, ma'am, just from a self-defense standpoint, that's really, it, it also makes you not aware of your surroundings. You probably shouldn't be out there that early by yourself anyway. That's right. That's really but, true. But that's a topic for another day. So now, so now middle school, the idea is wait until eight if possible with as much social media as possible. Uh, as little social media as possible. It's, oh, I'm sorry, as little. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just checking to see if you're paying attention. Yes. And, and, and now I, I'm high school. I, I'm coming into my own. What are some tips uh, uh, for that doesn't have to be regarding social media, but just as parents or, or coaches about dealing with, you know, kids that are now 14, 15, 16, what are some unique things to, to look out for or to be aware of? Well, they're coming into a really important time of, of their own judgment. They're forming their own judgment now. And so it's really important to give them different sides of an issue or for them to consider different sides. So they begin to realize, Oh, it's not so simple that one or that one, but maybe, uh, something in between. And so this asking them a lot of questions, you're really interested in what they're thinking. So conversation is really important and that they begin to realize that they have to come to their own ideas and that they have to have the will to go through with it. So that's a really important part of it. Um, and so involving them in, in their own thoughts, being really interested in what they think and because they will change tomorrow. Yeah. But meanwhile, that's a process that they have to go through. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're, you're strengthening their capacity rather than they're just taking in what other people are telling them. So for high school students, conversation is one of the most important things. Okay. Uh, being in touch with a lot of different viewpoints, but not just viewpoints, people. If they really like one kind of music, great. But also maybe introduce a new kind of music just to try it for fun. You know, expand their horizon. Um, get them to take, they're old enough to figure out what would be a great challenge for you. Let them design their own challenges. They know each themselves by 16. You know, it's so funny you say that part of our advanced black belt test is that I have guys, like I often, there, there'll be orphans out there that no longer have an instructor, their instructor retired, and they might be a, a third or fourth degree black belt, and they're looking to get rank. And, and so I have an organization called the Satori Alliance where we do that. And so I'll have these guys, and, and they'll always, and what the first thing I do, of course, there's some, I'm going to check out their skill level and, and their, their credentials. But after that, I'll have them build a test. I'll say, you tell me what you want to do. And what's ironic is their test is always way, way harder and more challenging than I would have ever come up with. As a matter of fact, I usually have to back off. I used to have to say, no, that's too much. Let's back off a little bit because, because uh, uh, I think most people really want a challenge. Very much so. And they're all, but they're still looking at the adults. 
They're always watching, you know, what are the adults doing? How are they handling this problem? And they'll goad you in high school, and maybe not you as a coach, but certainly when I was teaching high school, you know, they'll push you. They want to see your limits, and they want to see whether they should really respect you. Are you worthy of respect? And, you know, you don't make it every day, right? You know, you're going to make yeah. mistakes. And then you have to take your mistake, and you have to try it again the next day. And, uh, and it's, it's painful as an adult to deal with high school students sometimes in this way. Well, well, you know, for me, uh, most, not all, but most of the students that I've ever worked with, first off, I work with them for two or three hours a week, not six hours a day. And secondly, most of them, they want to be there. They don't have to be there. And that's a big difference. It makes, sure. it makes it a little easier when you, but you've got someone that's really a little rebellious and they're 15 years old and they don't think they should have to go to school anyway. And you've got that person. That's, that's, uh, that's definitely challenging. But even your 16, 17 year olds, want to, they want to see, you know, what's your metal? <laughs> what are you made of? And um, because if they feel that you're worthy, they will go with you a long way. But they'll still play games on you. They'll trick you. Sure. They're trying to come up with their own standards. Sure. And that's what's happening at the end of high school is they really, you know, what, what is courage for this particular 16-year-old? Maybe it's a particular movement that you're doing with them. But maybe it's uh, uh, putting in their uh, painting into a competition. Or maybe it's trying a different style of writing. Or maybe it's asking a particular girl out for a date. Mm -hmm. So courage is very different for different students. And this is where having conversations, going for a walk, so important. You know what's so funny about that is that every, you know, there's different types of courage. So for me, like jumping on, you know, climbing the tree, no problem. Jumping Nothing. off the cliff, no problem. You know, getting in the ring, away, no problem. Having a hard conversation with someone that has a different viewpoint from me, big problem. I'm the biggest wimp ever there when it comes to that. It's like, I just, I, 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 it's one of the things I've had to learn because being in business, you, you know, you've got to deal with that. But to this day, it's still really uncomfortable for me to, uh, I, I look at my business partner, who's this amazing guy who doesn't necessarily enjoy confrontation, but it walks into a situation and so can calmly, first off, just handle the situation in a calm way and without any fear, it seems to me. And when I, when I have this, I have to like prepare myself for that, that conflict. And you also have this question about teenagers in groups and how they lose their individuality and do things they would not have done as individuals. And so that's another whole thing. You probably, again, don't get that with your work, but teachers and parents do. You know, you get three or four teenagers, they'll overwhelm a parent. It's, it's exhausting. So my, my dad told me, he said, he, he goes, uh, that he got this from his dad, uh, uh, you know, my grandpa. And it's funny because my son, Alex, who's now 25, says, you know all that dumb stuff you say, dad, that you got from your dad? I already know I'm going to say it too. But anyway, <laughs> but one of the things that my, 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 my uh, dad uh, got from my grandpa, he says, Two, one teenage boy, a little common sense. Two or more teenage boys, no common sense. Oh, <laughs> Right. Even you, Dave, and you were in 12th grade. There, was, there were times when it was no common sense. No, no doubt. Most of my life it's been there. So, oh, hey. It's when they're together, how you reinforce each other, you know. Th there you go. So tell me a little bit about the importance of relationships and service with kids, kind of of all ages. But, but it, it, uh, you know, how important is it kids to go out there and, 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 and uh, kind of serve others in various ways? One of the most important things I really learned with this um, – vulnerability gap. Well, I learned a lot. And that is to make sure that whatever project you're involved in, um, that you're using their heads, their hearts, and their hands. So, so for example, if they're going to do a project in school or a service project in the community, you think it through with their thinking. It has to be good, solid common sense. Then you're going to make it that 
Who's it for? How are you going to help these people? Why are you collecting food? It's not just to get points. What about these people? Why are they needing food? So compassion. And then you have to do it. You have to really have the will. If you said you're going to bring in, you know, 25 cans, are you going to bring in 25 cans if possible? So will. Or sometimes you'll do something starting with the will. Then you have to go through the feelings and then look at the thinking, assess it. Was it worthwhile? So service is one of the most important ways to bring the three together. And you can do it as a model when they're younger. We're all going to go and feed the, run feed the hungry, you know, or we're all going to go do this as a family. That's wonderful. You're building a habit. But, but the middle school, you can do it as a class or as a group. And um, that's so powerful. And they don't even think about it in the moment. Then later they will say, I'll never forget what we did. Remember the look on that old lady's face when we came and sang to them or brought them something? It just goes right into the heart. And so this, and by high school, they could be very involved in planning the whole thing and deciding, um, you know, it's, it's so important. So looking at the difference of these three stages, the, the sort of up until around 10, 11, middle school, and then high school, the high school students can actually create the service projects for other kids. Um, it's, it's, and then they get the response back from these little ones who look up at them with mm-hmm. just awe, you know. I don't know if it was your class. I think we started it later the 12th grade would help the first grade carve pumpkins. And uh, they'd be in there, and they'd have newspapers spread out, and they'd have the knife, and together they'd be doing this, you know, carving the pumpkin. From then on, these little kids would go, there's my grader. He's the one who'd help me, you know. And it's so beautiful. And then the older ones could just, they pick them up and play with them. You've got a relationship. Totally, yeah, which is the other, I mean, such an important thing. And, and I, I know my kids... When, when they were uh, at Waldorf, I don't know, whatever year they have someone down, a kid, somebody young from a younger grade, both of them really connected to their, whichever their, their, their kid was, uh, their, yeah, their younger, but, but it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Yep. So relationships, super important. So, you know, what's interesting is, is that we have a program, we, uh, uh, it's called uh, a Martial Arts Against Bullying that we, we launched uh, uh, about seven years ago. And, and it was actually, I've been doing a program called School Safe, Street Safe for about 28 years. And what it was is where we, we really, uh, it's, it's how to deal with, uh, you know, basically be more confident and, and, and less likely to be bullied. But um, I always felt like it was incomplete. And so 2013, I, I spent, that was my year. My project was to learn as much as I could about, uh, you know, bullying in general at various age groups and whatnot and what could be done about it. And, and one of the things that was interesting is there's two primary types of bully. There's, there's what's called uh, the victim bully and the pure bully. And the victim bully is about 93% of bullies. And those are people that are lashing out because they have rough challenges some other places. And the other 7%, a pure bully, is a person that basically grows up to be a sociopath. They just are kind of quotes. Uh, and But either way, you know, confidence is secure. But one part of it, why I share this with it is one of the, so we don't just look at uh, why you, sh- you know, wh- what to do to not be bullied yourself. It, we look at it like, okay, what to do if you see someone else being bullied? How can you minimize that? Why you don't want to be a bully in the first place? And the other concept is we call it buddying and it's anti-bullying. And and the idea is to, is to, uh, can make the connection between strength and kindness and how those go hand in glove. Because so often a, a male, especially young boys, but girls too, it's different. Bullying is different with them, but they look at like, they look at the, the tough, rough guy, like, and, and uh, as someone they, they maybe aspire to be and, and they confuse that with, uh, with, uh, with they re- confidence. 
they exactly that really like the guys I know a lot of MMA and UFC fighters and and the in almost every case the toughest guys on the planet are also the nicest people now the media not may not portray that but so that's kind of the thing with that so what we'll do is we'll go through a budding exercise where we talk about like uh for example one of the questions and it's based based on the age our our discussions the topics are the same but the discussions are different when they're younger it might be how many guys have ever had someone do something nice for you you know and everybody's like how did it make you feel oh how many guys have ever uh, done something nice for somebody else you know how that make you feel oh right how many guys ever seen somebody else do something nice you know And, and and giving examples and and uh uh, it's really interesting to see what happens when when kids actually uh, like we we have this concept knowledge in the mind honesty in the heart and strength in the body and oh, you need perfect. all three and you need all three because if you have knowledge in the mind and honesty in the heart but you don't have a strong body you're going to get pushed around so to speak and if you have honesty in the heart and strength in the body but knowledge in the mind you're going to be gullible and you're going to be but and if you have the worst is if you have knowledge in the mind and strength in the body but not honesty in the heart then that's where you're going to be. Uh, turn into a predator. So that's kind of the well-rounded kind of viewpoint. But such a big part of this is the concept of really trying to establish in the youth the importance of relationships and service. I mean, we know that how good it feels to do something nice for somebody else. And once someone gets a taste of that, it really can be contagious. You know, I, I wish I'd had that those three when I wrote the book. You know, I did include an, um, a big paragraph about you in the book. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I have to go back and look. Okay. And I talked about you, the way in which you handle this with children how important this is and what your your creed is now i got that from my grandson who worked with you and so i would have added these three because they are perfect in line with this thinking feeling and willing it's, it's amazing it's so strong do you ever work with uh, youngsters with disabilities yes absolutely Yes, we, uh, we we try to like like through the years when I was uh, kind of solo. By the way, those knowledge in the mind, honesty, and heart, strength of body comes from one of my mentors, Grandmaster June Ree. So uh, I, I didn't create that. That, that just to be clear, uh, but it really made his concept was might for right. Uh, you know, you, you you develop this person so you can do good things. Uh, but yes, uh, it, it's really uh, uh, we have a lot of people that are on the spectrum. It's very common uh, and uh, to, to have people on the spectrum. We've had, of course, people that have had physical disabilities as well. And uh, uh, we do our best in most cases just to mainstream them to the best of our abilities into our classroom. And uh, the, the cool thing about martial arts is it's really self-paced. So it's a team environment, but you're really not – there's nobody sitting on the bench. You know, everybody's kind of judged against their own ability to, to as much as we can make it. So uh, – uh, that's been in uh, so any one last thing Betty and I want to be respectful of your time so you are uh if you don't mind me saying you're like anyway you're getting up in age uh uh, I'm not ashamed of saying my age okay you're 81 or 82 wow incredible and you know you are you're so active and I feel like you're more active than you were 20 years ago is that is that accurate or not really I have more time Okay, there you go. That's what it is. But uh, what do you do to, to uh, I mean, you're still learning, uh, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, you're still writing, uh, you know, you, you know what, what is your key to, what's your fountain of youth? I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, physical exercise. I mean, I'm very lazy when it comes to exercise, you know, uh, by myself, but walking. So walking is number one. And Great I, exercise. Yeah, and that's wonderful. I'm not, I can't run very well. I, you don't need to. Yeah, and so I don't do it. So walking, definitely walking. Um, always being interested in things and people. So I, I do have a, day, a morning read and meditation, very similar to you, very important to me. 
that was harder to do when I was 25 years younger. I have the time now. So that's very important, having a good, healthy diet. Um, being connected with people. And, you know, during this time, that's so important. And I'm fortunate, you know, I have family living close by, but also do a lot of Zooming. And I'm, I'm still involved with uh, some organizations. I still do some work with the Waldorf School. Um, those are so important. And then writing, reading. I'm a reader. Um, yeah, it's just there are a lot of things. There's plenty of things every day. So there's a, there's a Japanese term. Uh, it's called shoshin. Shoshin roughly translated means beginner's mind. And, 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 the, and the translation of beginner's mind, in the mind of an expert, there's but one choice. In the mind of a beginner, there's many, meaning, you know, you're a forever learner. And that's kind of what I see, that I, I feel like you've still got your spark to learn more and grow more. And, and just like in nature, once you stop growing, right. That's, right. When you, that's when you turn the corner. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and you also become more perspective. You, know, you do get some perspective on what you are good at and what not. And it doesn't have to limit you, but it certainly puts you in different directions. And, and yes, you will try new things. You'll try new things, but you'll be more cautious about that. Um, you know, it's just interesting. Lo recently, I started going to this uh, Northern California Publishers and Authors group once a month. And I've never been, you know, I've never been in a group like that. And so you've you got to put your stuff in and you've got to put this competition. I said, but I've never done a competition with my writing. They said, well, come on. And so I did. I entered the book. And I got a gold. So yeah. cool. You know, I was really excited. And so I picked up my little plaque last two weeks ago. And Congratulations. You know, I've never done that before. Because I've always felt, you know, my books are within the Waldorf world, but this is not at all. And so that was, I was a little scared about that, you know. And I entered also a travel story and it got into their anthology. And that was fun. So, you know, I'm stepping out a little bit there and... Um, well, I got to tell you, you know, I would have never guessed that I would have ever written anything because when I was in school, I hated that. I had no intention. And how many times in my life, like, you know, I remember one time you chastised me because I spelled the same word wrong three different ways, ways on one page. It wasn't just wrong. It was like, I think it was business and it was business with a Y and then well, one S and, 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 and it was like, oh, you know, and I just could give a darn. Uh, but, but the, you know, to fast forward all these years later to, to now, this is such an important part of my life is writing and, and, you know, who cares if someone else wants, it's really, I, I hope, you know, sometimes people find it valuable, but it's such, so therapeutic to really articulate your thoughts and 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 kind of uh, to, to, to it really what clears your head and helps you kind of pick your viewpoint on things so to speak and that's the thing you don't know when you're a teenager what you're going to do in your life you know you think oh there's one boy i remember in school i'm going to be a surgeon i don't need to have music history and then you know years later he calls me and says i'm not going to be a surgeon <laughs> and I, i'm glad i had to take music history and we don't know in high school is a time to open up the whole palette a big yep. buffet and yep. try different things and then you see oh i remember when i did that yeah well like my my uh my son at a young age was very artistic and he got away from it and waldorf got him back into it but my daughter never cared and she got to waldorf and and of course i'm very proud of both my kids and and and, and, and lissa uh she never cared about doing any art but she had some friends with us that were encouraged her and now she too now in her time off she she, you know, sketches and draws and, and, and it was such an important, uh, it, you know, it, uh, fulfilling and, and, you know, it, 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 it feeds you in different ways when you embrace art. Exactly. 
Well, Betty, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And you guys that they're out there listening, if you wanted to know more about Betty or see her works, I believe BettyStaley.com uh, is is your website. Uh, I believe you have you have a blog as well. It's on there. Okay, very cool. So BettyStaley.com is where we go you go to uh, find out more about what you're up to and and any books that you might have available. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Well, well, any la- any closing words before we call it? This is just so much fun, Dave, to do this. Yes, it was. I'm I'm, I'm the third time's a charm. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.